This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Eye on Education podcast from the 28th of April. And our hot topic today was school hours. That's as a study into the four-day week for school pupils in Sharjah's private schools found the children are happier, more motivated and performing better academically. So we asked parents, what would you prefer, a three-day weekend or maybe a longer school day? Lots of people got in touch with us. It was a very animated programme and well worth a listen. Meanwhile, as the Ministry of Education launches a new eco-training programme for principals and teachers, we had an exclusive interview with Her Excellency Dr Amna al-Dahak al-Shamsi, who's an Assistant Undersecretary at the Ministry. We also got analysis on what should be included in that eco-education programme with expert Dr Sonia Ben-Jafar, who's CEO of the Abdullah Al-Gharir Foundation for Education. And we found out how an upcoming hackathon organised by NYU Abu Dhabi will help find sustainable solutions using quantum computing. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to the Agenda programme and more importantly welcome to Eye on Education. It is our special programme when we put the spotlight on learning, whether that's in schools, universities, nurseries or even, you know, higher education for adults who are going back to study again. And in fact Uh, That is going to be one of our top stories. First up, we're going to consider all the big headline makers from the last few days. And actually, a a really interesting story broke overnight about universities. Uh, Producer Jennifer Crichton has been keeping her her eye to the millstone. Is that an expression? It's not, is it? But you know what I mean. (laughs) She's always on the news, always figuring out which stories are coming out and which are the breaking headlines. And this one is a really interesting one. It's about universities here. It is, and apparently more pupils are choosing to go to university right here in Dubai. That's according to new figures from the Knowledge and Human Development Authority, which show an 8% annual growth in the number of students enrolled. Furthermore, the number of international students choosing Dubai to complete their higher education increased by 12%, and that means they now make up nearly a third of all students. In total, there are now more than 30,000 pupils enrolled in university programmes in the Emirate. Another interesting data set on graduates shows more than 80% of students who graduated from a higher education institution in Dubai in the last two academic years were in employment or undertaking future study. Plus, the number of programmes offered by international universities increased by 21% in the last three academic years, with degrees in business, engineering and information technology proving the most popular among international students and Emiratis. Yeah, there's a lot of data to unpick there. Really interesting stuff. That I think that what I find most interesting is the fact that more than 80% of students who've graduated from university here have already got jobs. They're already yeah. in employment or undertaking further study. Because I really remember there was this lost year. I can't remember who it was. Is my husband's cousin came out with a law degree. And for some reason, oh, it was a financial crisis, I think. Yes. It was 2008. 
and he could not find a job. And he was just he was just unlucky. He just happened to come out of year uh, out of uni that one year when there were no jobs to be had. And despite a great qualification, it took him another two or three years to get a training contract. And so you know, and and ra- while round the rest of the world right now there are real issues with employment, it's not something that we're facing here, which is great. That's it. 80% is a very high number. I'm going to do some digging and see if we can get a sort of equivalent number for other big university countries. But 80% certainly seems like a delightfully high figure for such recent graduates. It really does. And certainly those figures are out of the KHDA. As you can imagine, we are chasing them to try and get extra comments uh, on the radio. It might be that, that now it's Friday, that it might not be until next week. But we are we are hot on their heels to find out a little bit more about all of that information. Meanwhile, the UAE, uh, another policy here, stepping up efforts to educate children about the realities of the climate crisis because they have launched, the Ministry of Education, have launched a major new international eco-education programme. How's that going to work? Well, as many as 1,400 principals and 2,800 teachers are to be trained by the Ministry of Education as part of this green education partnership with UNESCO and UNICEF. The goal is to ensure half of the country's schools and campuses are green accredited ahead of COP28, which will take place at Dubai's Expo City in November. It's part of a major effort to ensure the UAE's hosting of the Climate Summit encourages a whole new generation of environmental actors in our children. Jumana Haj Ahmed Deputy Representative for the UNICEF Gulf Area Office says it's a local initiative, but it aims to have a global impact. While they will be adapted to the UAE context, there will also be a room to adapt it and use it in other countries in the region and beyond. And that's why we'll be working on it in English and Arabic. We will be doing it in a participatory approach with the students and the teachers themselves. The idea is to carry it forward into the next COPs and to have it available for other countries as well. Yeah, and coming up on the programme, we're going to get more comments on that. We'll be hearing from Her Excellency Dr. Amna Al-Shamsi. She's Director of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at the Ministry of Education. Turning to, I think probably, I want to say our top story, but in many ways it's not our top story, but it's the one that's uh, garnering the most interest and intrigue. Um, Because it is a study into the four-day week for school pupils. Now, this was done by Sharjah's private school uh, institution. And uh, well, inspection institution. And they found that children there are happier, more motivated and performing better academically. And that's thanks to the four day week in their view. Now, they surveyed over 30,000 families from more than 70 nationalities in January and February of this year. So what else did this research discover? Well, they found that a shorter school week meant better work-life balance, as you'd imagine, and that increased motivation for teachers and staff. Now, Sharjah introduced a three-day weekend at the start of last year, and the government says this is strong evidence that it's been a very successful experiment for its citizens. There is a lot of data out of the survey, from a 77% improvement in children's academic achievement to an 81% increase in daily school attendance. We're going to be discussing this at length shortly. But this mum already got in touch to say she'd love to see a similar approach in Dubai. Fridays are now absolutely often. As a practicing Muslim family, Friday prayers are of the utmost importance to us. It's an absolute mad scramble, picking up the kids, getting home and getting ready for prayers whilst they are hungry and ready for lunch. 
There is no time to go in and listen to the imam's khutbah or sermon. Meanwhile, Rehana has got in touch saying, I have three children. We're up for a four-day school week as we'll use that extra day for sports activities. So comments coming in thick and fast on our text, 4001, if you want to get in touch, or 04871 is the WhatsApp for free. Meanwhile, schools here in Dubai are canvassing opinion among their parents to gauge whether they'd be happy with an extension to the school day. Several have sent out questionnaires to their parent community with one looking to push the hours on Monday to Thursday by 20 minutes. Now, the principal at the Arbor School, Brett Gervin, told us this. When we received the notification that we would be reducing by half a day, our initial aim was to try and create efficiencies within the structures that we had so that we wouldn't further disrupt any parents in terms of their uh, morning drop-off routines, their afternoon pick-up routines, what might go on after school in terms of activities or lessons or even playdates, uh, just to try and maintain some consistency. But what we've found is that puts additional pressure on our registration times, our pick-up and drop-off times, uh, our break times and snack times, uh, and, and it certainly is a challenge to maximise and optimise our curriculum time. So we've looked at it now, we've surveyed our parents as to whether they are happy for us to extend the school day Uh, and very shortly I'm going to have to make a decision because there are, of course, a number of parents that support that idea but there are some who would prefer to maintain the status quo and I guess in the end it's going to fall to me to make a decision which I believe optimises the learning for the Arbor School. Right, this topic is going to run and run, uh, certainly for the next 45 minutes right here on the agenda. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Let's return to our top story because we are fascinated by that study that suggests that pupils in Sharjah's private schools are flourishing after the Emirate shifted to a three-day weekend. Now, the study by the education authorities found children are happier, they're more motivated and they're performing better academically. And the survey also found that a shorter school week meant better work-life balance and increased motivation for teachers and staff as well. Now I'm joined in the studio by producer Jennifer Crichton because together we've been canvassing opinion on this. There is a lot to discuss. Uh, Jen, first of all, tell us a little bit more about the research that sparked this debate. Of course, we started considering this following that research you just mentioned out of Sharjah. There, more than 30,000 families from more than 70 nationalities were surveyed across January and February this year. And as you say, there, the findings suggest a shorter school week meant better work-life balance and increased motivation for teachers and staff. But it's not just in Sharjah that the issue of school hours is once again under the spotlight because we've learned that schools in Dubai are canvassing opinion among their parents to gauge whether they'd be happy with an extension to the school day. Several have sent out questionnaires to their parent community, with one looking to push the hours on Monday to Thursday by 20 minutes. The principal at that school, the Arbor School, Brett Gervin, told us this. When we received the notification that we would be reducing by half a day, Our initial aim was to try and create efficiencies within the structures that we had so that we wouldn't further disrupt any parents in terms of their uh, morning drop-off routines, their afternoon pick-up routines, what might go on after school in terms of activities or lessons or even playdates, just to try and maintain some consistency. But what we've found is that puts additional pressure on our registration times, our pick-up and drop-off times, uh, our break times and snack times. Uh, and, And it certainly 
is a challenge to maximise and optimise our curriculum time. So we've looked at it now, we've surveyed our parents as to whether they are happy for us to extend the school day uh, and very shortly I'm going to have to make a decision because there are, of course, a number of parents that support that idea but there are some who would prefer to maintain the status quo and I guess in the end it's going to fall to me to make a decision which I believe optimises the learning for the ARPA school. Okay, so that's got us thinking about school hours and school days. Which is better, longer days or longer weeks? So many messages coming in already. Uh, One person here says, I already think the day is way too long for young kids at school. They get tired and I don't think they can absorb all that info. I have to say, I think that's where I stand on it. Uh, But certainly the jury does seem to be out, doesn't it? Absolutely. And in the past, we've spoken to several experts on this topic, in particular after legislators in California banned schools from starting earlier than 8.30am. That was introduced in September last year, and it was the first law of its kind in the US. But other states, including New York and New Jersey, are now considering similar measures for teens. At the time, we spoke to Beth Mallow, a neurologist and sleep expert at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville. She's part of a research team assessing teenage sleep patterns and she says while younger kids can thrive in Dubai's early start school culture it can be less effective at secondary level. I think the main reason is logistics like for example buses if you only have so many buses and and lots of kids you have to send the buses out first to pick up some of the kids and then come back and get more of the kids and there's this sense of like well we should let the younger kids you know, go later and let the teenagers go earlier because they're older, they're more mature, whatever. But actually, it's the opposite. Like if you had to split up your school and say, we're going to take half the kids early and half the kids later, it's actually the 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 younger kids, like the five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-olds who are wide awake earlier because they haven't gone through puberty yet. And it's the teenagers who are dragging themselves to get into school at eight o'clock or earlier. They're the ones who really need the later start time, but people just don't know that. They just haven't been exposed to sleep and biological rhythms and understanding all of that. That is really interesting stuff. But what do you think parents would make of it? I think it's safe to say that while parents in the UAE are far from completely united on this issue, they definitely have opinions. Yesterday, I conducted an entirely unscientific social media study asking on a few of the UAE's biggest mums groups to share their thoughts on school hours. And we've rarely had such a huge response to a Facebook post. Within hours, literally hundreds of parents had gotten in touch. And to say opinion was varied is an understatement. Here are just a few of the comments we received. Early starts are okay for us. Ramadan was so busy on the roads later on, it actually took longer to get to school. There are far too many holidays. Winter needs to be cut down to two weeks. It's actually nice for them to be in school where they can play outside. Fridays are now absolutely often. As a practicing Muslim family, Friday prayers are of the utmost importance to us. It's an absolute mad scramble, picking up the kids, getting home and getting ready for prayers whilst they are hungry and ready for lunch. There is no time to go in and listen to the imam's khutbah or sermon. Later start of the morning in line with the UK would be great. I feel like seniors, A-level, B-tech students should be able to wear more casual clothes and not have to stay at school all day if they have no lessons or only one lesson. 
This is such a problem for my child who has attention deficit disorder who cannot sit around all day doing nothing. I also think they should have staggered school timings as most of the schools here go from nursery to senior and, and we're all heading to the same place, same time, causing complete and utter carnage. If we could have more than three days for half term, uh, this could just be, just could be my school. Uh, make that a full week and then take those extra days from the, the long summer holidays. I think the kids deserve to have a week break in between the term. I'm happy with the school hours as they are. I mean, a four-day work week isn't necessary or needed, and for working parents, it just creates an extra day of childcare or clubs needed. Our school is already a 4 p.m. finish, which is excellent. We have a half-day Friday, which is also perfect, as we already have the afternoon for family, but the mornings, the kids get their learning and connection with friends at school. It's not broken, so don't fix it. Someone needs to consider one thing. If they start late, they will get home late. Please think of children returning home on the bus. What time they will do homework or even play outside? They will reach home by 6 in the evening? Is that fair? Just because some like to sleep in doesn't mean all kids are the same. And actually, kids are morning risers anyway, so it's better to wake up and start their routine early. So they will have time after school to play, do their homework, or after school activities. Okay, so that's just a few of the comments that have come through. Uh, Fair to say, actually, last count on the last Facebook board that you were looking at, Jen, how many comments have come through? I saw 173 last night. It was up at 180-something the last I checked, and that's only on that one particular group. We've also canvassed a number of WhatsApp groups, so I think we're well over 200 opinions. It is amazing, amazing. And so many people coming through now on the text lines. Please do share your view on this question, 4001, or WhatsApp me for free, 04871. One double five double zero. Interesting uh, comment here from Abda Salam saying we need to be very careful with these kinds of surveys like the one out of Sharjah because the perspective of parents is not scientific or objective. The impact on academic performances takes longer to be assessed. That is very interesting indeed. I'm going to throw in my two pennies worth because someone foolishly put a microphone in front of me. It would um, <laughs> it would be. In my view, it would be an absolute disaster for my children to go to only four days a week. They're boys. They need stimulation. They need socialisation. I don't want them at home for three days. I'm not at home for three days at the weekend. Neither is my husband. He wears a corporate job. And they would just be hanging around and there'd just be more junky screen time. You know, you can't be constructive and educational and, and a friendly family when you know, the parents are at work. And frankly. I think that's the thing. I mean, we were saying earlier, these statistics out of Sharjah, parents saying, well, we've had more family time as a result. Presumably those are in families where the parents are also getting a four-day week. Yeah. But with so many of the expat families doing a five-day week, if oh, parents are working, it's, it's for the kids. What are they doing on the Friday? Because if there aren't extracurricular activities, as you say, is it more screen time? Or are they just on a switch? Because I don't think many of us think that would be better for them necessarily. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. We are discussing school days on the programme this morning. That's after a survey out 
part of Sharjah's Education Authority found that pupils in private schools there are flourishing after the Emirates shifted to a three-day weekend. Now, the study found children are happier, more motivated and performing better academically. Meanwhile, teachers and staff are loving the shorter week as well, not surprised, saying it's led to better work-life balance and increased motivation. Now, I've brought in producer Jennifer Crichton on this because she's been asking for your opinions. I think it's safe to say she's been inundated. More messages keep on coming in left, right and centre here on 4001. Of course, the WhatsApp, if you want to join the conversation, 04871 Yeah, but what's the general gist that you've been hearing? You know, which... I suppose it's hard to say which which line people are coming down on. Do they prefer longer days or do they prefer longer weeks? I honestly don't think I could come down on a side. It is incredibly varied. And I think the the really interesting thing here is that there is so much option in terms of the debate here. So it's not like we're just talking about a four-day week or not. People are talking about do they want an earlier start time, a later start time, longer days, shorter days. So there isn't a general consensus, really. I think before we go any further, let's take a look at some of the key findings on the survey out of Sharjah that's prompted us to ask these questions. Because while the parents we've spoken to are mixed, the results in Sharjah suggest an overwhelmingly positive response because their 77% of parents surveyed reported an improvement in their children's academic achievement and 70 in their social skills. The findings also showed an 81% increase in attendance and a 75% rise in extracurricular activity sign-up. What's more, the study reportedly also found that 88% of pupils are spending more time with their families, which is all incredibly positive. But what about working parents is probably the question I'm being asked more than any other this morning. While many of the parents we've spoken to say they understand the argument in favour of a four-day week for everyone, they've pointed out that currently few schools offer care options on Friday afternoons, making the early pickup a logistical nightmare for those who have to be in an office. What's more, we've heard concerns about the impact on the curriculum, how early kids would have to start and how long those four days would be were the country to pursue this option on a wider level. The parents that we got in, that got in touch with us made some very good and at times competing points about the impact of all of those various options. This is a five-day week fan here. Having to find childcare for the fifth day is a nightmare. Uh, school times also fit well, really well with work. I can drop off the kids before heading into the office. Any later and I'd have to finish before the kids. What I would like to see changed is the three, four o'clock finish. Eight till three or eight to four is just, it's way too long. Kids are exhausted. They have no time for extracurricular activities. Still have homework to do. I think a 2pm finish would be ideal when starting at like 7.50, 8 o'clock in the morning. I would be in favour of returning to Sunday to Thursday. Working week, though, because five full days of school instead of three-hour mess that we have on Fridays would be better. We're happy with the school hours as they are. The four-day week isn't necessary or needed. And for working parents, just creates an extra day of childcare or clubs. Our school is already a 4pm finish, which is excellent. And then we have a half day on Friday, which is also perfect as we already have the afternoon for family. But the mornings, the kids get their learning in and connection with their friends at school. It's not broken, so don't fix it. 
As a teacher of teenagers and a mom of little ones, my opinion is slightly different from most here. Personally, I like the early start as it gets us up and out and the work day done. There is an ample time after school to play and have a nice, reasonable bedtime. And also, I like the half day on Friday as it feels like a nice, chill day. We can finish off work and classes, review content, pastoral care. Then when we go home, we can do all of the life admin stuff like grocery, shopping, etc., which leads to full days of family time on the weekend. My students are a fan of a later start and longer day as their lifestyle is different from mine and they prefer to stay up late at night, resulting in very little sleep. Leap. Having said that, virtually all of them say they have a nap when they get home. A myriad of studies have shown that a 4 or 4.5 day working week is super beneficial for well-being across all sectors, increasing productivity and mental health. I've been an educator here in various roles for 15 years and a parent who has gone through his schooling system here. As a parent, I know how difficult it was to get him up in the mornings and also how unfocused he was at the beginning of the morning until he was able to wake up properly. As an educator, there are many children who arrive late and consequently miss some important lessons at the beginning of the day. In my opinion, the day should start later I don't think it should start any earlier for anyone than 8.30 and I understand that means a longer day but I think that is preferable to getting up at these unreasonable hours. British schools will not be able to manage the GCSE and A-level curriculum in a four-day week. It's no good ramming in the content with longer hours in the four days. The children won't be able to keep up with their productivity sufficiently high. There'll be lower grades and heightened stress relative to their peers in the UK, and all that will follow will be an exodus of pupils to the UK boarding school. Let's hope that it never passes. A four-day week may be possible for less content, heavy school systems, but definitely not the British. Really? I'm the only one here to say that my daughter's already doing a four-day school. Loving it. Fridays are then spent doing homework, if any, and weekends are just for weekends. To switch off and come back fresh from Monday. Excuse me there for interrupting the end of that comment, uh, particularly because it was such an interesting one. Somebody already doing a four-day week there. We have had so many messages coming through on this topic. It's slightly crazy. Four double zero one if you want to join the conversation, or zero four eight seven one double five double zero. Rebecca says, "I agree. For the expats and those in private sector jobs, it will disadvantage the children being home on a Friday. We pay very high school fees for children to barely be at school already with all the holidays." Days. Our school finishes at 2.40 and there's very little after-school activity provision. So the children already have long afternoons at home. They're far better off socialising or taking part in activities. If parents are working, it's just not quality or productive time at home. Meanwhile, Cheryl has a completely opposing view. Uh, she says, I think three days off will work for my children. Imagine dedicating this free day to let them just be free to do what they love to do. My 10-year-old son runs his own business 
business, Flip Fingerboarding, and imagine dedicating a day for this. He will absolutely flourish. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. You are listening to Eye on Education here on the Agenda. We've got a big, hot topic today because we are fascinated by that study that suggests that pupils in Sharjah's private schools are flourishing after the Emirate shifted to a three-day weekend. Now, the study by the education authorities in the Emirate found that children are happier, more motivated and performing better academically. The survey also found that a shorter school week meant better work-life balance and increased motivation for teachers and staff. I mean, that's not surprising, really, because most children and parents would jump at the idea of a four-day week. But what do the experts say? Now, Jennifer has been looking into it for us. I mean, there's been a raft of studies lately that suggest there are significant benefits to a four-day week. And while most of these studies have focused on working adults rather than on children, many of the benefits are universal rather than age-specific. The Sharjah study, in fact, seems to be largely in line with the findings of a recent international four-day workweek trial, the biggest ever of its kind, which not only saw a significant reduction in absence rates, but also improved work-life balance, better and healthier use of leisure time and a greater focus on family as well as more. But what's perhaps the most pertinent finding from a school's perspective is the impact on energy levels and sleep. Beth Mallow is a neurologist and sleep expert at the Vanderbilt University Medical Centre in Nashville. She's been studying teenage sleep patterns and she says anything that reduces stress and pressure and offers people more opportunity to rest is beneficial but particularly for school age kids. Our ability to focus, to concentrate, to remember in school, our ability to learn is really affected when we're sleep deprived. We're just people's grades are not as good. Um, it's you really need to get to have a good night's sleep in order to concentrate. And people have actually shown that when you cram and you pull all nighters, you don't retain your material as well as when you've actually slept, even if you study as much during the day. So that process of sleep is really important for memory consolidation and for learning. Meanwhile, because of this study in Sharjah, maybe, several schools in Dubai are canvassing opinion among their parents to gauge whether they'd be happy with an extension to the school day. Several have sent out questionnaires to their parents' community. One is looking to push the hours on Monday to Thursday by 20 minutes. And of course, that's got people talking about, you know, what time the school day should start. You know, if we are going to go to a four-day school week, you know, are you going to squeeze in the extra time in the morning or are you going to squeeze it in in the afternoon? And, you know, are we going to have an extended school day? Some of the comments that are coming in, Jed, you've been keeping an eye on the message boards. I have, and it's um, very, very mixed, I would say, in opinion. I would say largely in terms of the Dubai boards that we've posted on, Opinion seems to be mostly against a four-day week, but that is largely because of working parents. It's not necessarily because people disagree with the idea of a four-day week in general, but they're saying a four-day week for kids and not for parents would be very difficult. We've got one text here that says, I agree for expats and those in private sector jobs, it will disadvantage the children being home on a Friday. We pay high school fees for children to be at school already. Our school finishes at 2.40 and 
Dublin has very little after-school activity provision, so the children already have long afternoons at home. By contrast, another parent has just commented on one of the Facebook boards that we posted on, saying that she feels that most parents would agree that school starts much too early and that they would be better being in later than starting as early as they do. This person uh, who we'll call Angela has got in touch saying that we shouldn't really be paying attention to this survey out of Sharjah because it's not statistical analysis on a big enough cohort. Uh, Furthermore, the changes in the school week haven't been in place long enough for their effect on educational outcome to be measured. A good rule of thumb uh, would be to look at UK best practices where they have massive fees great amazing uh, great great pupil outcomes and awesome reputations to maintain they don't even do five days they do six days of teaching now and so as a consequence this person would argue that maybe cutting down to a four-day week would actually undermine uh, our children's education so much going on here so many messages coming in on the text we've got about 30 seconds left Jen what's come through on your line I've got one here saying I'm against a four-day week for similar reasons than you said the reason being our children are competing with students in the same curriculums all over the world and those curriculums have no Arabic social studies no mandatory Arabic not to mention no uh, Ramadan or extended public holidays. So kids here could already be at a disadvantage. Further reducing the week is another way to give them less teaching. Andrea says that she would prefer a longer week, i.e. a normal week. Anything else is unrealistic and unsustainable. Imagine these children going to universities or joining the workforce. They'd be so unprepared, disappointed and frustrated, inefficient, etc. No, 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 that's from Andrea. <laughs> that's pretty vociferous. <laughs> that is, and that gives us an indication, really, of how strongly people come down on either side of this argument. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the programme. Now, the UAE is stepping up its efforts to educate children about the realities of the climate crisis with the launch of a major new international eco-education programme. Now, as many as 1,400 principals and 2,800 teachers are set to be trained by the Ministry of Education as part of its Green Education Partnership with UNESCO and UNICEF. Now, the goal is to ensure half of the country's schools and campuses are green accredited ahead of COP28, which, of course, is taking place at Dubai's Expo City in November. And it is part of a major effort to ensure that the UAE's hosting of the event encourages a whole new generation of environmental actors in our children. Now, Jumana Haj Ahmed, who's Deputy Representative of the UNICEF Gulf Area Office, told the agenda that it's a local initiative, but it aims to have a global impact. While they will be adapted to the UAE context, there will also be a room to adapt it and use it in other countries in the region and beyond. And that's why we'll be working on it in English and Arabic. We will be doing it in a participatory approach with the students and the teachers themselves. The idea is to carry it forward into the next COPs and to have it available for other countries as well. Joining me now to talk through the strategy and how it will work is Her Excellency Dr. Amna Al-Dahak Al-Shamsi, Assistant Undersecretary for the Care and Capacity Building Sector at the Ministry of Education. And it's my great pleasure to have you join me on the line, Your Excellency. How are you this morning? 
Great. How are you? Good afternoon to you and to everyone on the line. Yes, good afternoon. Really interesting that this strategy is being introduced uh, with just over six months to go, I suppose, until COP28. Can you give me a little bit of a sense of, of, of what this training will involve? So we're very excited since we have launched this um, strategy two days ago almost, but we have been working for, uh, on it since August 22. And uh, we've started this collaboration with Ministry of Climate Change and Environment, and then we've expanded to so many other national and international partners. Now, the main components of the training is going to include um, training principles to lead the uh, implementation of greening schools, greening communities, greening uh, learning and uh, greening um, capacities along, um, around their school's environment. These are the four main pillars within the Green Education Partnership Framework. And we've designed everything around this roadmap to be include, to be around this um, these four main pillars. With the training, we're uh, working on the training as Jumana just have mentioned in, in her message. Um, we've, worked, we've been working on this to co-design it with UNICEF, with the participation of children, educators and so on so it's driven based on their needs but at the same time we're making sure that everything we're working on throughout the training and also throughout the um, toolkits and the enablers that we're creating and the other pillars to make sure that they are not only designed to the UAE context but they have the agility uh, to be adapted and scaled for other educational system, as these are the main, um, uh, let's say, uh, the main plan or strategy that has been put in place to design um, a full um, uh, accelerator for the educational system um, to implement the Green Education Partnership Framework. And with the UNESCO and the UNICEF, we're looking at amplifying the impact of everything that we're working on to be implemented in the UAE, but at the same time, to be scaled up for other educational systems and to work as the UAE to work as a catalyst for this framework to be implemented across the globe. It is very interesting how the UAE, right from the, the very start, really, with the planning for COP28, has sought to include young people and children in the sort of the, the climate conversation. Uh, and obviously, there's already been amazing events going down uh, at Expo City Dubai, where children have been invited in to, to get into the debating sort of environment. Which yep. schools are going to be involved? Which principals and teachers are going to be involved in this project? Is it uh, a particular curriculum? Is it state schools or private schools? How have you managed it? Now, we do have a very unique system in, in the educational system in the UAE. We do have a lot of government schools, private schools, so many different curriculums that are already existing within the UAE educational system. So the intention is to include all t- schools, to open this for all schools, um, government, private, across the different curriculums, because basically the climate action uh, education is, you can think about it, it's one universal model in a way but you can adapt it depending on the needs of the school itself. How far is the school into implementing 
climate action and climate education related practices and programs because we know we, we're not starting from scratch there are so many efforts that have been done whether it's on the local level or sometimes even on the level of the school and the the educational institute itself there have been tremendous effort and we have seen so many examples that we're very very proud of and this is what we want to amplify we want to showcase the top examples and we want to create an, an a drive for all the other educational uh, institutes being universities or schools to implement the model that we're talking about so basically we're targeting everyone and we're looking at um, amplifying and capitalizing on some of the top practices that have taken place and putting it more in an integrated model because when you have um, standalone practices, they look great, they sound great by themselves, but when you put things together, that's where you see the impact, that's where you can drive a force toward the implementation of a better climate education model. So do you imagine children right from the age of three or four all the way up to university age being wrapped into this policy, this programme? Yes, um, and that is because we've started working on a cross-curriculum framework that starts from early childhood, and we're working on creating the materials and the content for it um, all the way to higher education. And it focuses basically on four main domains that are related to the scope of climate action and sustainability. And it builds, uh, it focuses on uh, three main strands, knowledge, skills, and values. Because as we know, um, in order to create that mindset shift and behavioral shift that is required to really do the impact that we look to preserving the earth, it has to start from the values. And values in terms of environmental values and sustainability, it's very well rooted in the UAE, starting from the vision of our late founder, Sheikh Zayed, and all the leaders that are um, across working across the government in the country that are driving the UAE toward that. How will it actually sort of, how will it, what will it look like in the school day and sort of in the classroom? Are you imagining sort of environmental classes? So you'll have, my child might come back and say, so mommy, I had maths, English, environment, PE, and chemistry or something like that. Do you imagine it being a standalone class or are you more weaving it into the other subjects? Um, it's more on the on the on the second uh, that you've mentioned, because the um, the climate education is 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 very in, it's, it's interesting in its model. You can link it to every subject, even to the art, even to moral education. We we say that it's knowledge, skills, and values. So you can link it across all the areas, and you can link it to physics, to chemistry, biology, in every single subject. So the way it was designed, it was designed to be a cross-curriculum framework in a way that concepts are going to be embedded within the different subjects, within the activities in the classrooms. Mm -hmm. But we are also creating and working with experts to create um, a wealth of uh, extracurricular materials that can be used to, for activation for this for the kids that want to go the extra mile whether it's in the environmental club in the in the school or in after school activities or even in activities that the school can organize for the kids 
to take them out to the community. As I have mentioned, maybe one of the main pillars is greening communities. So there is a role for the community to contribute to greening the school and greening the capacities within the school. But there's also a very important role for the school to green the communities and to bring that awareness and the knowledge and the skills that we're looking at it because it, the schools can create that triple effect. The child can take this practice, as you've mentioned, a child can, can can go back to their parents and they say that we've done this in school. Let's do this at home. Let's do this with our friends, with our family members. This is the the the, the model that or this is the point that we want to reach to. And uh, we're not, as, a, as I said before, we're not starting from scratch. A lot of schools are doing so many amazing things. The idea here is that we want to make sure that there's a very well integrated structure that amplifies the impact and make sure that every child has access to that, every educator is enabled to do that, and every school is doing their role to this to the educators and to the learners and to the communities. You can imagine this sort of army of school children coming home to their parents, all very uh, motivated to to do something to help uh, resolve the problem of climate change, which is lovely in many ways, scary but lovely, <laughs> and that's exactly what we need in many ways. Yeah. Uh, Be really prepared to answer for our kids' requests. Yes, it's the recycling. My goodness me, if I dare throw a bottle in the wrong bin at the moment, the children come for me. Um, so. When will teachers start learning this program? So we're planning in the couple of uh, in the next couple of weeks to start the um, orientation for all school principals. We're going to have multiple sessions in Arabic and English to um, introduce the whole master plan, basically for the schools and to um, get them all on board and to be all on the same page of why we're doing this. Why is it important? Um, how can we really uh, integrate or amplify the things that we have been doing? Or how can we integrate them within this framework so that we have a well-structured plan that we, we, we can continue with the best things that we have been doing and we can add the new things that we have been missing and bridge the gap across all. And after this main orientation, which is going to introduce the master plan because one of the main things if you want to if you are looking at the change within a school environment the leader is the one that's going to enable that so it's basically the principles and uh, then we are going to start working with the educators to disseminate the trainings that we have been mentioned we know that um, there is um, a lot of requirements on teachers, so we're not going to just jump into um, into their school days and ask them to, to get into this training. So we're designing, as part of the master plan, a very well-structured um, uh, action plan that is going to include specific weeks for the training. Uh, again, it will be offered both, both in Arabic and English. Some of the training are going to be self-paced training, so it gives the ability to principals and other educators to take the training depending on their schedule and make sure that we are attending for all the different needs and making sure that our uh, partners as well um, are um, engaged with us. So UNICEF are going to be during, uh, with us through this training, FEE, Foundation for Environmental Education, OCE, Office of Climate um, Education. They are all going to be part of this uh, training journey. 
It all sounds incredibly well thought out. Thank you so much for joining us. That is Her Excellency Dr. Amna Al-Dahak Al-Shamsi, Assistant Undersecretary for the Care and Capacity Building Sector at the Ministry of Education. It's been a great pleasure having you on the radio. I hope we speak to you again sometime very soon. So thank you very much indeed for joining us here on the agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Yes, welcome back to Eye on Education here on the agenda on Dubai 103.8 is is our opportunity to look at all the schools, universities and nursery sort of topics, I suppose, that are crossing our desk. Uh, Two big topics on the programme today. One is eco-education. The other one is how long the school week should be. Four days, maybe? Five days? What would you prefer? So many people getting in touch. Thank you very much indeed to Nicholas, who says uh, that if the kids have learnt more or better, as per the suggestion of the Vanderbilt professor, then they will adapt to five days just fine. That's Nicholas's view. He thinks that they should go for five days. Uh, Other people saying that we pay very high school fees for our children to barely be in school already with all the holidays. Uh, The idea of cutting it down to four is just too horrible for words. Let's talk about this, um, these efforts to educate children in the UAE about the realities of climate crisis, because as we've just heard, the Ministry of Education is stepping up a gear with a green education partnership that they've made with UNESCO and UNICEF. The idea is that schools across the UAE will be offered a framework, a national framework to support climate education and critically to encourage climate action among young people. Lots of teachers, lots of principals are all going to be trained. But what should they be trained in? Let's get some analysis from Dr. Sonia Ben-Jafar. She's an education expert and she is CEO of the Abdullah al Ghareh Foundation for Education. Based here in the UAE, it's one of the largest privately funded philanthropic education initiatives in the Arab well, Dr. Sonia, lovely to have you joining us on Microsoft Teams. It's a big question, but what do you think should be included in this new eco-education programme? Well, thank you very much. Uh, it absolutely has to be first and foremost commended that the UAE Ministry of Education has gone down this route. Uh, the UAE National Energy Strategy has made a complete commitment that by 2050, the country aims to increase the clean energy share to almost 50%. So they're investing. And what this does in terms of partnering and making green education relevant is that it's part of the ongoing efforts. But what's most important, this is not about um, simple little pieces in a curriculum. It's an integrated framework for all of the curriculum. And so what that means is for us to transform education and transform Uh, the future economy so that we can have a sustainable economy and sustainable development, we need to change mindsets. And so the Green Education Initiative is not just about greening schooling and curriculum. It's about greening learning, greening capacity and greening, greening communities. So the strategy is really interesting. And it's not only about the UAE, but it's about creating a framework that is a universal language for other countries to be able to adopt. So they're going to be giving toolkits and resources. How do you take your science class um, and make sure that when you're learning about micro, you know, the microscope, what, it, what 
link does that have to climate education? And that goes for the same thing about sports. And it goes for the same thing about everything that we learn in school. It's really interesting because when I first read about this, I was a bit like, oh, great. They're going to tell them, you know, about how carbon, you know, carbon dioxide is gathering and that's, you know, causing a warming effect. So I was just thinking about the purely the scientific facts and about it. But actually what you guys are looking at and what the Ministry of Education are looking at is how our children can be prepared and ready and educated for jobs in this sector effectively. Absolutely. And a high quality sustainability focused curricula is really about preparing our young people to not only come up with the solutions, but be able to be ready to get into those green jobs in the future. You know, right now, the World Economic Forum has estimated by 2030, over 80,000 new jobs will be green jobs. And we need young people to have a sustainable mindset so we can catalyze how we're going to be able to fill those and deal with climate mitigation and climate adaptation on every level. And as you mentioned at the foundation, we are part of that solution and we're really proud of that because we are providing a training for those kind of jobs in the future. Yeah. And one of the things that you guys do at the foundation and one of your focuses, I know, is on upskilling. So obviously this program is designed for people who are still in school, they're still in university. But your focus is also for people who might have missed out on, on those types of skills. And, and do you think there will still be space for these, those people to learn, you know, sort of backdate their learning, so to speak, like me? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that's the difference. If we're going to transform education, we have to transform our mindsets. Formal education is super important, but informal education and and really being able to upgrade your own skill sets so that you can learn more about what's happening has to be part of everything we do. And so for the example, for example, the foundation has a hub at the American University of Beirut that supports uh, one of the programs that they've developed and designed because of our funding has been Green Technologies Online Professional Diploma. So you can take this online and learn about solar panels and water and green buildings and how to actually be part of those kind of jobs. So those things are incredibly important to us. And that green initiative, I think, is part of the four pillars that the green initiative for that the ministry is is putting forward as well. Naughty last question, because I've only got 30 seconds left with you. But do you think... Do you think the drive is there? Like it's one thing for, for well-meaning institutions and governments to come in and go, look, you know, we need to change our values. We need to greenify our economy. We need to greenify our education. But do you think the rest of us care? Do you think we're ready to be transformed? That's where the changing in habits of mind needs to happen. But actually, you know, when the climate is changing and we're adapting in our own jobs and in our own lives, that's going to become incredibly important. And this region um, is hyper affected by the climate uh, change. And I have a paper coming out with a colleague of mine in um, Ficker Institutes uh, exactly on this advancing regional climate education and why it matters in real life with real examples across the region. And so I hope that that will help uh, clarify this very point.
Yeah, absolutely. It is a conversation that's set to run and run. As ever, Dr. Sonia Ben-Jafar, thank you so much for your insights on this. CEO of the Abdullah al Ghareh Foundation for Education, speaking right here on the agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the programme. Now let's turn our attention here on Eye on education towards something that's kicking off this weekend because more than 200 students from 24 countries plus experts from around the world are set to come together in Abu Dhabi this weekend for an international hackathon. Now it is the 11th edition of the New York University Abu Dhabi event. This year its key theme is sustainability and uh, the idea is that the pupils will work with quantum computing to develop innovative solutions to challenges related to the UN Sustainable Development Goals and they will be encouraged to look at challenging projects, everything from machine learning to AI to physics and the arts. I have to admit I'm not entirely clear on what a hackathon is. So joining us now to talk through how it'll work is Graham Alabaster. Now, he is chief of the Geneva office for UN Habitat, and he's involved in guiding the hackathon. Thank you so much for joining us on the line, Graham. Can you give me a little bit of a sense of of how this is going to work? Because I've, I've read the words quantum computing and hackathon, and I'm lost in a sort of vortex of things I don't understand. Absolutely. Well, yes. Hello. Delighted to to be invited to join you. Um, As many of you know, the Sustainable Development Goals, which were agreed by member states of the government several years ago, were about halfway through, uh, were a sort of blueprint, if you like, of how we could move forward to address many of the the, the problems and inequities that exist in the world across the board, from health and all sorts of different issues. Um, But of course, attaining those SDGs uh, has been a challenge for many member states who are still behind on some of the uh, on some of the SDGs, and the idea is is to find ways using innovation and science to see how we can advance uh, the achievement of those SDGs. And when that boils, what that boils down to is in reality some of the more challenging problems that we face, uh, you know, in the future, like how we're going to feed people, uh, how we're going to deal with uh, pollution incidents. Uh, how we're going to manage sort of energy as we move into the future. Um, All of these things can benefit by uh, applying sort of advanced um, computing techniques uh, to to model, to emulate and to develop new approaches and new materials in some cases. So this huge um, increase in computing power that quantum computing brings means that many of these uh, challenging issues, which would normally take you know, people in the research and development world, many, many years to perfect can be done uh, using quantum computing. For example, um, you can use quantum computing to develop and design new drugs, new materials, um, you know, that would take many, many years to do in research laboratories. So the whole idea of the hackathon is to use the knowledge, uh, the, you know, uh, younger academics about how they can use computing, quantum computing techniques to address some of these issues and to start to conceptualise how those issues can be uh, addressed. 
Now I know. Sorry, that's a rather short, you know, version, but that's basically what they're trying to do. No, I mean, it's, but I now have perfect clarity, which, which helps hugely from the point of view of a radio interview. And I know that Abu Dhabi, in particular, both the university and the Emirates itself, have got a huge interest in quantum computing. They've been investing massively in this giant quantum computer that they're building down there. I say down there from, from me here in Dubai. But how can the students access that? Because I, I wasn't under the impression that the quantum computing resources were, were available, for example, to students yet. They're, they're still being developed. And I mean, the access to quantum computing uh, will progressively increase. But, you know, the, the whole idea is that there's a lot you can do in preparation uh, of the, the sort of necessary steps to prepare to uh, run these problems on, on quantum computers. So there's a lot of preparatory work needed before you actually need to invoke the use of the, the computers. So a lot of that, a lot of the hack of them will be associated with that preparatory work to look at what's needed um, based on, you know, existing information, existing knowledge. So although the quantum computing uh, capacity isn't available yet because it's, it's still in its infancy, uh, you know, there's only a few quantum computers that exist. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're working in parallel to develop these problems and refine them uh, at the same time as the capacity has been developed. So it will become available. Now, I know that you have actually flown in in order to take part in this hackathon. Who else is involved in the project and how were the students sort of chosen to take part? Well, I mean, this is a very interesting topic. And, uh, you know, the, the whole idea is that you're bringing partnerships basically from academia, who do, of course, a lot of the basic research for, for some of these uh, SDG topics, but also um, the politicians and, you know, the, the diplomacy community. Of course, the SDGs were negotiated by political figures in member states. And, you know, the, the idea is that the partners who are involved uh, from both sides, from, from diplomacy, from, from the political side, and from academia come together. So you've got a, a very interesting mix of uh, academics who are willing to apply, uh, are willing to uh, adapt and apply their technical knowledge. And, you know, the political community are helping to prioritise what's needed and where we're moving forward. So this particular hackathon has a, has a broad range of people who are involved. I'm really interested by your organisation per se. You know, UN Habitat actually works for a better urban future. You know, and a quick, a quick sort of look at your website indicates that, you know, the United Nations is working on things like, you know, a settlements programme to ensure that people's, sure. uh, where people live is, is safe and, and habitable. Uh, I mean, is this just one of the many uh, activations that you're involved in in order to encourage more young people to, to make the place that they live better? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a, a, a growing awareness. I mean, our work basically as UN Habitat is to ensure that urbanisation uh, proceeds in a sustainable way because, of course, we're so-called the SDG 11 is the sort of so-called city's goal. And it's based on the fact that by 2050, 70%, roughly 70% of people will live in an urban agglomeration of some kind. So understanding that process and how urbanisation works is important for a variety of services, access to services, access to housing, management of land, all these different issues. So my agency focuses on sustainable urbanisation, 
and how we achieve that and what the various uh, elements are. But maybe I can give an example, um, you know, uh, for example, when, 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 you, when you look at the health in cities, um, the design of uh, urban space uh, has a huge impact on health partly because of, you know, the situation with pollution and air quality. We hear lots of cities around the world that suffer from uh, poor air quality, which results in bad health. But also, you know, we need to design cities in a way that promotes physical activity, that will reduce uh, obesity, that will address, you know, dietary and health issues. So all of these things are all weaved in together to uh, this particular um, SDG and my agency is interested in urban form. The other thing is that the 70% of the urban uh, sort of space that people are going to live in by 2050 has yet to be designed and built. So we have a huge opportunity now to influence that process as cities expand, as small villages become towns, as towns become bigger cities, how we can influence the design and the planning of those cities to ensure that people have active, uh, productive and healthy lives and that the economy uh, grows and uh, we, we, you know, we improve general people, the socioeconomic condition and we reduce uh, the inequities that exist in society. Absolutely fascinating sector. It's like many of these things, the further you dig into the United Nations, the further you dig into sustainability, you realise quite what's going on around the world, the sort of big thinking that's going on. So no doubt uh, we would love to have you on the programme again going forward, not least in the build up to COP28. It's been a great pleasure uh, to speak to Graham Alabaster, who is the chief of the Geneva office of UN Habitat, which works for a better urban future. Really great to have Graham in town uh, for that hackathon that is taking place at NYU Abu Dhabi this weekend involving more than 200 students from 24 countries plus experts from around the world. And that's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.